Good morning. Welcome to worship at First Presbyterian Church of Columbus, Georgia. We're glad that you're here to join us as we worship God by offering our prayers and singing songs and listening to scripture. Please come in with us that we may worship God together. Our first lesson comes from Ephesians chapter 4 in selected verses. They are listed there in your bulletin. And also to go ahead and let you know, the day's sermon is going to be a little different in that uh, you might say the bulk of the teaching will actually come from this passage, but the background understanding this passage will be the two stories that follow. So just keep that in mind. All three will be woven together And you got to pay attention to see how I do it when that time comes. But listen now to the Word of God, picking up in verse 1 of chapter 4. I, being Paul, therefore the prisoner in the Lord, beg you to lead a life worthy of the calling to which you have been called, with all humility and gentleness, with patience, bearing with one another in love, making every effort to maintain the unity of the Spirit in the bond of peace. And picking up, the gifts He gave were that some would be apostles and some prophets and some evangelists, some pastors and teachers to equip the saints for the work of ministry, for building up the body of Christ until all of us come to the unity of the faith of the knowledge of the Son of God, to maturity, to the measure of the full stature of Christ. We must no longer be children tossed to and fro and blown about by every wind of doctrine, by people's trickery, by their craftiness and deceitful scheming. But speaking the truth in love, we must grow up in every way into Him who is the head into Christ from whom the whole body joined and knit together by every ligament with which it is equipped, as each part is working properly, promotes the body's growth and building itself up in love. And finally, in verse 25, So then putting away falsehood, let all of us speak the truth to our neighbors, for we are members of one another. Be angry, do not sin, do not let the sun go down on your anger. And do not make room for the devil. Thieves must, be give, must give up stealing. Rather, let them labor and work honestly with their own hands so as to have something to share with the needy. Let no evil talk come out of your mouths, but only what is useful for building up, as there is need, so that your words may give grace to those who hear. And do not grieve the Holy Spirit of God, with which you were marked with a seal for the day of redemption. And put away all bitterness and wrath and anger and wrangling and slander together with all malice. And be kind to one another, tenderhearted, forgiving one another as God in Christ has forgiven you. And this is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. Please be seated. As is our custom when we have longer lessons, I will simply invite you to stay seated. 
And for the choir, you all get to rest also. We have our second and third lessons, two powerful stories from Scripture. Our first lesson, I'm sorry, second lesson here uh, is from Genesis 50, picking up in verse 15. I will elaborate on this in the message, but this is the point where Joseph, after reconciling with his brothers and they've had time together, his father has passed away and they're wondering, okay, daddy's gone. What's going to happen now? So, listen now to the Word of God. Realizing that their father was dead, Joseph's brother said, What if Joseph still bears a grudge against us and pays us back in full for all the wrong we did him? And so they approached Joseph, saying, Your father gave this instruction before he died. Say to Joseph, I beg you, forgive the crime of your brothers and the wrong they did in harming you. And now, therefore, please forgive the crime of the servants of the God of your father. And Joseph wept when they spoke to him. And then his brothers also wept and fell down before him and said, We are here as your slaves. But Joseph said to them, Do not be afraid. Am I in the place of God? Even though you intended to do harm to me, God intended it for good in order to preserve a numerous people as he is doing today. So have no fear. I will provide for you and your little ones In this way, he reassured them, speaking kindly to them. And this is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. And then our third lesson is from Luke's gospel, the beloved story of the prodigal son or prodigal father, as it is sometimes called, or a tale of two brothers. Listen now to the word of God. Then Jesus said, There was a man who had two sons, and the younger of them said to his father, Father, give me the share of the property that will belong to me. And so he divided his property between them. And a few days later, the younger son gathered all he had and traveled to a distant country, and there he squandered his property in dissolute living. And when he had spent everything, and a severe famine took place throughout that country, And he began to be in need. And so he went and hired himself out to one of the citizens of that country who sent him to his fields to feed the pigs. He would gladly have filled himself with the pods that the pigs were eating, and no one gave him anything. But when he came to himself, he said, How many of my father's hired hands have bread enough and to spare? But here I am dying of hunger. I will get up and go to my father, and I will say to him, Father, I have sinned against heaven and before you. I am no longer worthy to be called your son. Treat me like one of your hired hands. And so he set off and went to his father. But while he was still far off, his father saw him and was filled with compassion, and he ran and put his arms around him and kissed him. And then the son said to him, Father, I have sinned against heaven and before you. I am no longer worthy to be called your son. But the father said to his slaves, Quickly, bring out a robe, the best one, and put it on him. Put a ring on his finger and sandals on his feet. And get the fatted calf and kill it. 
and let us eat and celebrate. For the Son of Mine was dead and is alive again. He was lost and is found. And they began to celebrate. And now his elder son was in the field, and when he came and approached the the house, he heard music and dancing. And he called one of the slaves and asked what was going on. And he replied, your brother has come, and your father has killed the fatted calf because he has got him back safe and sound. And then he became angry and refused to go in. His father came out, and he began to plead with him. But he answered his father, listen, for all these years I've been working like a slave for you, and I have never disobeyed your command And yet you have never given me a young goat so that I might celebrate with my friends. But when this son of yours came back, who has devoured your property with prostitutes, you killed the fatted calf for him. And then the father said to him, Son, you are always with me, and all that is mine is yours. But we had to celebrate and rejoice, because this brother of yours was dead and has come back to life. He was lost and he has been found. And this is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. I debated back and forth on how to begin the message. It's one of those, do I tell the clever story or joke and then make the point? Or do I just simply make the point? I decided to make the point. It all began actually in Tennessee. I was watching the General Assembly online. Now, it was set in Portland. It is in Pacific time. And the timing of those events and the timing that I had to work, even though I was in Central, did not match too well. I only caught bits and pieces. But I was struck by an opening sermon preached by the moderator, Heath Rada. He was still moderator at that point. And he shared a story, and he told, told it from both of these stories, the one from Luke and the one from Genesis. And he talked about reconciliation. It's always a good topic, and it got me thinking. I don't know if it was because... For me, the summer is a time of reunions. I've got a big family reunion coming up later this month. I don't know if just because I love great stories and I see Scripture like a great epic and I love family history, and maybe that was the reason this got to me, this resonated with me. These were two stories that stuck in my mind, and as I pondered there in Tennessee during class, What am I going to talk about over the next two weeks? It came to mind, and I said, I'm going to stick with it. I want to look at this story of reconciliation and simply what it means as we look into our own groups, our own families, our own networks of friends and acquaintances, our church, our clubs, wherever we find ourselves in a community with others. I want to give the background to what we heard in Genesis, a story that I've talked about, preached about before, and I will give it in a summary. Joseph has 11 other brothers. And in the birth order, 
He is number 11. Now, he is the number one son of the favored wife, Rachel. His father, and that's a whole nother story, ended up with two wives, Leah and Rachel, and basically two sanctioned mistresses uh, in their maids. And as a result of the four women, he has 12 children. And there is a number one son, Reuben, the fir- literally the firstborn son, who should have been the favored heir. But Joseph, number one son of the favored wife, has clearly shown that status. He has given the coat of many colors to designate that. And as a young man, he has the lack of tact and discretion to flaunt that in front of his brothers. He even tells them, hey, y'all, guess what? I had a dream. Y'all bowed to me. That's not a good way to win friends and influence people. But anyway, that's what happened. One day, the brothers were out working, and he was sent to follow up on their work. And he came out there in the coat of many colors. The brothers are angry. They're just put out with him. And so they... They basically beat him and throw him into a pit. At one point, they're even thinking, maybe we should get rid of him. But then uh, one brother uh, again has him in the pit, thinking he can redeem him, pull him out later. While they're eating, and that brother Reuben is away, Judah says, hey, look, there goes a caravan. Let's sell him into slavery. We don't kill him. We'll make up a story that he got killed by a beast, and that will take care of it. And so that is what happens. And Joseph is sold into slavery into Egypt. And he goes to work for Potiphar, a high-ranking official of Pharaoh. And he is put in charge of the household. He is a gifted person. That cannot be denied. He is an influential person in the household. And he also gets the attention of Mrs. Potiphar, And we've gone to that before about the story. And she puts her eyes on him and makes the moves on him. And he says, I cannot do what you are suggesting. And finally, it gets too much. She's tired of being refused. She grabs him. He jerks away. She gets part of the cloak. And he runs off. And she says, oh, he attacked me, putting the blame on him. And Joseph is sent to prison. Now, it's believed that Potiphar knew what the real story was because Joseph was not executed, and that would have been standard operating procedure. Joseph goes to prison, but it's a political prison, the modern-day equivalent of a minimum security prison, and there he prospers. He ends up being an official within the prison. He learns From Potiphar and in prison, he learns about the politics of the land, how things are governed. He learns administration. During time, he interprets a dream for the butler. He's been for a while out of favor, and he says, don't worry, you'll be returned to favor. Just remember me when you go to Pharaoh's court again. The um, butler uh, is returned to Pharaoh's court, forgets Joseph until a few years later, when the Pharaoh has a dream and it cannot be interpreted and the butler remembers, brings out Joseph. In short, the dream means there are going to be seven years of plenty like you've never seen before, followed by seven years of famine like we've never seen before. 
And so Joseph is put in charge of this incredible program of building granaries, of stocking up in these years of great bounty, so that when the years to come, he will, they will distribute in a rationing system food to the people. Well, it all comes to pass. And the famine even affects those in the promised land. And Jacob sends his sons to Egypt to get grain. He keeps Benjamin, his new favorite, at home because that's the one son remaining from his favored wife. And the sons go there. Joseph uses an interpreter so they have no idea who it is. By that point, he's gone completely Egyptian in his dress and his speech. He finds out about the family, finds out about a younger brother, and he knows he's still alive, sends them back, but says, no, don't come back without your brother. Well, they go with the food, but after a while, the food runs out, the famine continues, they have to go down and bring Benjamin. Well, there it is. He has met his brother. He sees him from a distance or sees him in that setting. And he treats the brothers to a meal and, in fact, favors Benjamin. He gets like five times the helping of all the other brothers. Other kind of little psychological game he plays, he seats the brothers in their birth order. And they're going, now, how does this guy know that? And then he does a setup deal. He has a, a goblet placed in the bag of grain going with Benjamin has the brothers sent out and then has them arrested and said, something has been stolen from me. Who did it? Let's open the sacks. And it's Benjamin. Very simple. Benjamin must be my slave. Now, if the brothers wanted to kind of get rid of the new favorite, this is the perfect opportunity. But no, they say, please spare our brother. And Judah himself says, I will be the sacrifice for my brother. Make me the slave. Now, it's interesting because Judah was the one who said, let's sell Joseph into slavery years ago. And also a descendant of Judah, Jesus Christ will say, well, will come to us. And he will be the sacrifice for us. He will go to the cross for us bit of foreshadowing there. At this point, Joseph knows that they have mended their ways. They had the perfect opportunity to sell out the brother. They will not do it. And so he sends the officials out of the room and he reveals himself to his brothers, all of a sudden speaking in their language. And I'm trying to imagine what kind of reunion that would be. What would be the looks on the faces of those brothers when, oh my gosh, it's Joseph. I, I, we, could, we could spend a lot of time talking about that. But in the end, he's just simply happy to be reunited, bring my father down, and that's how the people come to Egypt. And again, as we read at the conclusion, the father has passed away, and now they're going, you know, this is the perfect opportunity now for revenge. And he says, no, 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 no. You meant it for evil. God meant it for good. Phrase a little bit different in the New Revised Standard, but that's how I learned it. Joseph has that gift of, of perspective, not only of forgiveness, but of perspective. The time spent in Egypt was a training school for him. 
And as a result of that, the people were saved. I have my own story, which I won't go into detail, of an instance where I know somebody made a decision, had an impact, and meant it for evil in my life. But God ended up using it for good. And if I ever get to see that person again, that's exactly what I will say. I'm not going to deny what you did. It was wrong. You meant it for evil. But guess what? God meant it for good. No need to seek revenge. If nothing else, living well is the best revenge. But God has used it for good. And then we have our story from Luke. It's a beloved story, famous story of the two sons. The youngest one wants his inheritance now. And the culture of that, that time and place in that culture, he basically told his father, I wish you were dead an act of total disrespect and disregard. And the father would have been justified if he disinherited the son at that point. But no, he gave him his inheritance. He gave him his all, and off the son went. And the son is a good time, Charlie, and having a blast. And when the money's flowing, everybody's your best friend. But then the money runs out. He's in reduced circumstances, and the good time friends have all left. And he is working now as a hired servant. He went from being a son of the manor, probably having people wait on him, to he is waiting on others. And he is looking after pigs about the most degrading job he can have as a young Jewish boy. And not only that, But the pig food is starting to look good. He is at rock bottom. He is basically in the gutter. And he comes to his senses. And he comes back. And he said, I'm willing to be a hired hand. Because, believe me, I've seen it now. Your conditions are better than others. And the father says, no, no, no. You have come back as my son. And he celebrates with the robe and the ring and sandals for the feet. Remember that's a time and place where only the rich folks had sandals. Soldiers, rich folks had sandals, had any kind of footwear. Most folks, 90%, had went barefoot. Okay, so again, he's completely restored to his status. And then we have the older brother who is out working in the fields, as he always has done, and comes back and hears about the party, and he refuses to enter. Now, I'll admit, I think the older brother often gets a bad rap in this story. I don't know if in part because I'm an eldest myself, I sympathize with him. But I'll also make this slight observation. Let's be honest. Which of the two brothers do you want your sister or your daughter to marry? Okay, the younger son or the older son. I can tell you as a father, younger son can just go knocking on some other door. The older son, that's who I want as a son-in-law. Okay, that's just facts right there. But nevertheless, the older brother is still subject to his father and he refuses to enter the house. Again, we may not quite get that today, but that is also a huge insult to the hospitality of his father. 
Maybe today you know of weddings that someone did not attend, not because of timing or other factors, but simply, I refuse to go to that wedding or to that social event. And it's an issue that everybody knows why that attendance did not take place. It's something like that. It's something that would be talked about. And in fact, if anyone got word, guess what? The sun is out there. It would be a topic for gossip. And yet the son, the father, excuse me, the father goes out to him. The father went out to the younger son, ran to him, which was an act of public embarrassment because men of his stature walked. They never ran to anything. And not only that, he ran to the son when the son should have been coming to him. And he goes out to the son, older son now, goes out to him doesn't care what other people think. I must reconcile this son to myself as well as to his brother. In this wonderful story, we have the image of God rushing out to welcome us. Whether you're a younger son, an older son, younger daughter, older daughter, or maybe a middling, a little bit of both. Lavish displays of grace and words of wisdom are given to both. With this backdrop of these two stories in reflecting on the message that I heard online, I wondered about reconciliation and the ways that we build, build up one another. And that brings us to Ephesians. It's believed that Ephesians went not only to the city of Ephesus, but to a larger area. And that's why there are no personal references in that one compared to others of Paul's letters. Imagine a letter coming, to, um, meant, uh, coming first to First Presbyterian Columbus, but it's meant for those in Lee and Russell counties, in Harris County, in Chattahoochee, in Talbot County too but it was going first here and then around the area. It may not speak. It wouldn't speak just to this particular church or this particular community. It would focus on things that all of us need to hear. And in our section that we saw today, it's basically three things. Build, build, and build. Earlier, there's references to the gifts that God gives us for service. Build the body by your actions. Build the body by serving. Each one has a particular gift. Each of us have particular gifts to give, to share with others. Use your gifts to build up the body. I'll tell a story about a family, and I'll, the gentleman in mind I'll call Cade. Cade was one of a large family of siblings, lots of brothers and sisters, his parents had passed away, had been gone for many years, but there were some property, some financial interests that needed to be sold. And years ago, it had been designated that he would be the one to handle the sale and the distribution to the siblings. And all were happy except for two sisters on how it was handled. They were quite irritated. Ill words were spoken. Time passed and the sisters realized we shouldn't have said what we said. They apologized, but things just really kind of were not the same. 
But one day, Cade's son-in-law, one of his sons-in-law, husband to one of his daughters, who was in the National Guard, got called up in the first Gulf War and went overseas. And the extended family rallied around the daughter and her children. And the two aunts made a particular point of reaching out to their niece and helping her, doing things for her. Through their actions, their service, they were able to build up the family again. We are given gifts to build up one another. And then we're to build the body and build up as we speak. There are references here to how we go about speaking. There's one that I learned originally as let a not unwholesome, start again, let no unwholesome word proceed from your mouth, but only such a word is good for edification according to the need of the moment that it may give grace to, the, to those who hear. When you're trying to speak from memory, you're trying to be careful how you say it. Now, usually I think of that one by the negative, let, not, let no unwholesome word proceed from your mouth. That's true. But there are three positives to that verse. And I referenced that at Marion Poovey's funeral earlier this week. It says these three positives. Give a word that's good for edification, that builds up others. According to the need of the moment, at the right time and place. So as we've heard, there's a time and a place for everything. And at that right time and place, say those words. And then it may give grace to those who hear. The right word at the right time and place for the right purpose. We should build up as we speak and also speak the truth and love. Which is very simple. You speak to the person. Not, if you're upset with somebody, not to your five best friends, your 20 best friends. Speak to the person. Focus on the truth. Sometimes you may actually be wrong, but now you know. And say it in love, in that spirit of love. And then finally, build the body by building bridges. And there are phrases in there, forgiving, tenderhearted. Um, just as God has forgiven us, we forgive others. And I think of that phrase, but for the grace of God, go I. And even a section about anger but it says, be angry, but do not, you know, don't give the, the devil a, a, a foothold. Jesus got angry at the money changers in the temple. He addressed it. And think about it. Don't let the sun go down on your anger. Often that's when we get in trouble. Not when we get angry, but when we stew over it. And sometimes you've got to think about it, and that's okay too. But how often have certain issues gotten in there and under, under your skin, I say they get under my skin, and there's still things, well, 40, things that took place 40 years ago, I can still give you the full details of what happened. Ben shared a story with us, a friend named Ben, an illustration that illustrates both points of speaking the truth in love and not letting the sun go down on anger. He had read an article, actually in the Presbyterian Outlook, and it angered him some things that were said. He got ill over with the editor and began to have one of those arguments you have in your mind with somebody. 
course, you always win those, which is a good thing. But nevertheless, he said, I got tired of just being angry. And so I called him and just said, this is an article, and I took issue with what you said. Well, it turns out, Ben said, it's a lot of ways the joke was on me. Because the writer of the article had so much to write, he had to edit it down. And he said, this was the point I was trying to make at the beginning. And then the other points make sense. And Ben said, once I understood that, oh, okay, that's what you meant. And everything else that was said in the article took on a whole different meaning, knowing what the author meant on the front end. And Ben said, you know, I could have just been angry and I could have stewed over it and I could have gossiped about it, but I addressed it, spoke to the person, and the goal was to get to the truth. Turns out I was wrong, but now I understand and it all makes perfect sense. And that was the goal and that was loving. We build up when we build bridges. Now, I realize I have given a lot today, and I think about the person who went, you know, paid a social call and expected tea and three cookies, and that person got a six-course meal. And actually, out of what I've covered today, I could do a nine-part sermon series. Make, Make no future reference. I just may do that. Today, our message is about reconciliation. Joseph and his brothers, and Joseph sensed God's presence, and Joseph had perspective on what had been done, God-given perspective to see and to be open to reconcile. Jesus shows us the power of reconciliation with the sons. Whether the son's a good kid or a bad kid, God is reaching out to them. And Paul prays that God the Holy Spirit will work in and among the Ephesians, residents of modern-day Western Turkey, the people in that area, that they will become one and be reconciled and live a life of reconciliation with one another. We are reconciled when we build up, and we build up as we serve. We build up as we speak well and in a healthy manner, and we build up as we build bridges when and where the opportunity presents itself. Reconciliation, it's a daily event, and God in Christ is calling us to live on a daily basis a life of reconciliation. Amen. It's been a privilege to join you this day in worship. We're glad that you were here. First Presbyterian Church seeks to serve and minister in the name of Jesus Christ. May the Lord bless you and keep you. May the Lord be kind and gracious to you. May the Lord look upon you with favor. Go in peace as you love and serve God.